it is said that we are entering a new pandemic of the collapse of mental health in America. I wonder if such is true, and if so, are we now normalizing high anxiety? That's just regular fare. That's a part of living as we are in these postmodern times. Have we come to accept stress and worry and angst as ways of life in our postmodern world? Is it your impression that levels of anxiety among the people of God are running at lower levels than people who do not yet follow Jesus? Or would you argue that actually there is not much substantially different between the level of anxiety born by those who follow Jesus or claim to follow Jesus and those who do not? If that's your answer, does that seem right to you or a measure ajar? What is true is that all of us, all of us, face invitations to anxiety in our experiences in life. Not all of us face them well. How are we doing at Calvary? How does the Bible encourage us forward in such an age that would invite us to anxiety? Come with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27 this morning. I want to go two different directions with this message. First, I'd like to revisit some verses where we have been and come to 8:26 and 27 where we have not been, but consider them afresh together this morning. And so we need to go back and discern a measure of the context of Romans chapter 8. And so that's what I want to do in the first part of the message. Now the second part of the message, I want to acknowledge with you that the world is shaking. I want to acknowledge with you that it is hard while it shakes. And then to ask, what resources are there in knowing Jesus Christ that can help us forward in such a day? I want to read and have the privilege of reading to you this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'm reading Romans 8, 18 to 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, let's crawl back into the context with this overarching point in this paragraph. We feel the anxiety-producing tremors of our broken world that awaits restoration. Once in my life, and some of you, no doubt, who've lived in California and other places have experienced this, once in my life, I was involved in a seismic event. Uh, Now, those who have been involved in earthquakes more surrounding the epicenter would make fun of this, but... uh, Multiple counties away from Clark County, Ohio, where I was living at the time, Springfield, Ohio, there was a seismic event around Grand Lake St. Mary's, a measure of an earthquake. And suddenly our house began to shake. And it was first discernible because the dishes in the cupboard began to clang with each other. It's like, what was that? That's weird. We we, we haven't had, and, and so we started thinking about it. And then only after the fact, in retrospect, realized that the shaking of the earth around that part of Ohio reverberated down to where we were and at least made the dishes clang together. But quite frankly, it was a little unnerving. You had a very clear sense that, hey, this is out of control. Uh, The earth is shaking and there's nothing that I can do. Tremors disturb the peace. What's happening? What's going on? The Apostle Paul's describing tremors that all of creation, that all of those following Jesus Christ are going through in anticipation of the consummation when Jesus Christ comes to heal the earth. So let's consider this paragraph and its three declarations and watch for verses 26 and 27. Declaration number one, we've been here, this is review, our suffering is real and tangible. Look at verse 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We had another garden variety week here at Calvary, a good week, and yet another week where we felt the tremors of our world. Our sister Margaret Berry's in the hospital. She's 89 years old. And the emergence of a cancerous tumor has shown itself. And now we're trying to figure out how to face it with her constitution weakened as it is. And so surgery is off the table. Uh, Chemotherapy regimen off the table. So they're going to 
Her son was just telling me this morning, run after some radiation beginning tomorrow. Barry True, who on some Sundays when he's feeling up to it, joins us right over there. Barry was gunning for this weekend, and uh, he and his grandson, he's uh, almost three years out from a pancreatic cancer diagnosis. It's come back. He's involved in a UK uh, clinical trial. And a very nice grandson who loves baseball, loves Aaron Judge, went to the Reds-Yankees game Friday night, and it will be super long remembered. And when I pinged Barry anticipating this this week, he said, you know, Eric, August will be three years since my diagnosis. Now, if you've ever tracked with a pancreatic cancer patient before, this is unheard of, and yet, you know, it involves suffering and ongoing treatment. Our sister Linda Withhorn had what would certainly be characterized as routine surgery, although nothing's routine for her because of a little idiosyncrasy to her blood product. So they have to get her in early, set her up for the surgery and watch her blood numbers, and then after surgery, watch him again, and then they decided they needed to take her back to surgery, and and, uh, if she gets to Wednesday this week, she'll be in two weeks. And her and Tom slugging it through that So dear one in our assembly who is uh, quietly threatened by uh, heart arteries that aren't as clear as they once were. And if you get the anterior descending artery of your heart, the so-called widowmaker uh, fully occluded, you die. And um, they're concerned. So they're lining up tests and and all of the uh, most... Gritty analysis that'll uh, put together a good plan, but uh, that household was feeling tremors this week. Stephen Tracy Crumpleman, it was a normal Sunday. They'd be sitting back there in front of Tim. And uh, Steve almost died with a uh, brain bleed. And now he's in the arc of a long recovery. Uh, got another surgery scheduled now in June the 21st. But uh, they're slugging it out. I tried to encourage Tracy this week. My favorite time of the month is praying with our uh, deacon body. And uh, on, we were on our knees praying, and I, I listened to uh, two of them uh, take off praying for Steve this week. And I text Tracy and said, oh, Tracy, I, I wish you could have been there to listen to those men cry out for help. You know, we love you. We miss you. But that, that family's going through it. And it's not going to be a snap, quick recovery. It's going to take time. Over time. Now, knowing Jesus Christ brings us to eternal hope. And that reshapes how we live, and it certainly reshapes how we die. It also reshapes the nature of our distress in the midst of suffering. 8.18, our suffering is real and tangible. Now, the second declaration here is this. 19.20, 21.22, we've already been here. This is review. Our world is shaking in chaotic ferment and travail. Now, we are not QAnon conspiracy theorists to argue that the world has gone mad and it seems wrong. I mean, take, take our week this week. Would it not be another garden variety news cycle week? Some guy takes a baseball bat to a congressional office in Loudoun County in northern Virginia and smacks a few people, one of whom it was an intern's first day on the job. Welcome to political offices days. On Monday, there was the ninth wave of missiles from Russia into Ukraine 
in May, the ninth wave came on Monday. We, of course, have the debt ceiling tightrope walk or whatever that is going on. And then, of course, it emerged again this week that we are now in governance and we need to pray for these individuals. I, I, I'm not mocking, but we have come to the point where we are propping up two senators who are not well and evidence that in the way they relate uh, to others. And that's not an outlier's opinion or a right or the left thing. Of course, the uh, gas stove ban flap went up in smoke with the nominee from the Energy Department in the midst of tug-of-wars over uh, uh, fossil fuels. Isn't it true that geopolitically, financially, governmentally, in the space of mental health, in the space of physical health, we're not doing super well. It seems that the world is shaking. One of the more believable passages in the New Testament are these verses in Romans chapter 8. Even for a skeptic and for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, they could hear this description and say, well, I'll have to give that guy half credit, whoever wrote that. That makes sense to me. I could see that that was a way of looking at our world because things just don't seem right or be running as they ought to be running. Something seems awry. Now the third declaration, and this is new space, is in verses 26 and 27. And that is this. We experience circumstances that stymie our ability to pray. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, there are two problems with prayer that are, can, can be identified. Number one is broken life makes prayer difficult. Have you ever been struck dumb in prayer through the intensity of the circumstance that you were going through? your soul and your heart, and you were so emotionally wrung out that you found it difficult to put into words what you needed to frame before our Lord. Kent Hughes says, if we are honest with ourselves, we must all admit that there are times when we cannot pray. One day, some of us will lie in hospitals with catheters and IVs, and we will not have the will to pray or even put two thoughts together. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans which we cannot express. The Holy Spirit expresses those things that we feel but cannot articulate, end of quote. By the way, it reminded me of considering are assembling together this Sunday. Do you realize we have never assembled together without ones walking into this auditorium, not known to others, but feeling like they had an elephant sitting on their chest? 
they'd experience some crushing blow to their spirit, to their emotions, in an oncologist's office, getting a diagnosis, some wrenching thing that their child is going through, some turn in the road that could not have been foreseen that's really adverse for them at several levels. And they come in crushed of spirit and find prayer difficult. Isn't that just normal fare in real life in a broken world? Those experiences come. If you're there this morning, I want you to know how much that everlasting love of Christ is helpful and it's available to you. And I want to pray. And if you don't get anything else out of anything I'm trying to extract from this glorious passage of Scripture, I want you to know how deeply interested God is in your life and in what you're going through and what you feel like in your spirit. And I just want to stop and pray for you this morning. Join me. Let's pray. Father, I love the fact that you know the way that we take. You have searched us. You have known us. You know when we lie down. You know when we get up. You know our thoughts from afar. In fact, what's amazing is you not only know our thoughts, is you have many thoughts about us and for us, more than would number the sands of the sea, and that's extraordinary. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. And Father, I pray that the care that is sitting on the hearts of folks today would be offloaded to you even right now. We would cast all our care upon you for you care for us. And you've demonstrated that on Good Friday. And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not graciously with him freely give us all things? Oh, according to your will, shape our lives and help us in this moment, I would pray in Jesus' name. Well, if one difficulty in prayer is we can get into circumstances that tie us into knots and we find prayer difficult. The second is when we pray, we miss. Remember James 4, 3? You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. You miss an asking. Now there's a stark statement in verse 26. Did you see it when I read it? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the attentive reader says, weakness? What kind of weakness is Paul talking about? Well, he tells us in the next sentence, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's a fascinating truth revealed by God for our good. Our weakness is expressed in not knowing what to pray for as we ought. I realized afresh this week that there is an arrogance to some of my praying, an arrogance to some of our praying, as if we knew all of what we ought to be praying for. Do you think you've ever missed in prayer? you think I've ever missed in prayer? 
conceding such weakness will lead us to more care in praying and more depth in praying. By the way, don't miss this. It's okay not to know exactly what to pray for in a given circumstance. Maybe you're in such a circumstance this morning. That's okay. Isn't that what Paul is speaking to here? By the way, a careful prayer understands that. And she also understands, or he also understands, that there is a glory to just set, sitting wordless before God in seeking him. It's not in all the great words we used. It's in a submissive spirit giving unto this living God. Do we know anything about that? Don't you think we'd be better for it if we did? We, we did. Now, those three declarations from this paragraph set us up for a response. Number two, we resolve our anxiety by relying on God's provision for our support. Eric, what do we do as the world's shaking? I feel like the world's shaking, but it's more than that. I feel like I'm shaking. And if all of creation is shaking and I'm shaking, it's sort of hard for me to keep my wits about me. Stress piles up. Anxiety grows. Watch for the two ways that Paul describes the provision of the Holy Spirit to bring us support. First, how does the Holy Spirit help? When we receive Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ comes to live in us by the Spirit of God. How does that help? What difference does that make? First, we are not in this alone. And there indeed is help. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit. Eric, the Spirit, Schmirit. Who cares about the Spirit? What does the Spirit do? Look at the verb. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us. Now, isn't it true that we need help? I need help. Do you need help? What does the Bible say? The Bible says the Spirit helps us. We don't need to make it any more complex than that. Eric, I don't get the Holy Spirit, you know, that mysterious mumbo-jumbo subjective stuff you're up there talking. That sounds like Sunday speak. Unpack that. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? You know, three times in the upper room as Jesus is with his disciples on the night of his arrest, he speaks to the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. In each of the three chapters that John records for us, moved by the Spirit of God. You know what he calls the third person of the Trinity each time? He has a name. He's called the Helper in John 14, 26. He's called the Helper in John 15, 26. He's called the Helper in John 16, 7. What does a helper do? You know what a helper does? He helps. Beginning with me, isn't it true we all need help? And the good news 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his help is available. The helper has come. Isn't it true that all of us, the t-shirt that our soul wears around is help wanted? Because we are so sensitive and conscious of our great need for help. I am. And that's not inflated preacher speak. I need help. And so encourage that it's available. Please know God will help us. And so the question is, what do you need help with? Do you want God's help? And remember, we want God's help on his terms. We're always trying to school God on the kind of help we want him to give us. He's wise and good. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us. Now, look at verse 26. It's fascinating because of the emphatic way that Paul writes it. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's emphasizing the role of the Spirit so much so he said, no, the Spirit himself comes to help. No, the Spirit himself. It cannot be grammatically or even expressed in English made any more emphatic. It's the Spirit himself. One time, Andy and I, you know, we moved here six years ago. We don't know anybody in northern Kentucky, just starting over a clean slate, ask around, who should I get to do this? Who should I get to do that? And somebody said, call this person, they'll give you a quote. So we called this person, and uh, the company is going to come out to give us a quote. Okay, fine. So at 6 o'clock Monday night, they're coming out, and I'm kind of watching for them, wanting to talk to them, get, make sure we get this right. And um, a late model Mercedes comes sliding in our driveway. I mean, it's a really sweet car. And then this really well-dressed guy gets out. And I thought, I wonder why he came to the wrong house and what he's looking for. And then come to find out, he was the guy that was going to assess the matter and give me a quote. And further, you know, I, I started talking to him. He handed me his card, and I look on his card. He's the CEO of the corporation that I had contacted for the quote. And I thought, man, this is fantastic. They did not send some ninth degree minion down the line in the org chart over here. The big dog came and gave me a quote. The CEO himself. And then when I got the quote, I realized maybe it had been better if the ninth you know, guy would have come instead of the, the head dog. The spirit himself. All the treasure of relating to God through Jesus Christ. The Spirit Himself. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, or as J.D. Greer says, Jesus continues, present to intercede, to plead for us, to help us. Well, now what's Give us more about this provision, Eric. Well, the Spirit of God is with us and enters into our experience. 
This amazing assertion changes the calculus of how we experience brokenness in our world. Maybe you're experiencing that this morning. Now, there's two facets to the way the Spirit of God enters in. Let's look at them here. Look at 26. He helps us by praying for us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Intercedes for us. Oh, the glory of having one pray for us. In the middle of causes for trembling, what's going on? The Spirit of God has entered and he's interceding. An interceder stands between us and God, stands between us and the circumstance and represents us and cries out for us. Have you ever heard someone say, I'll tell you what, Eric, I've got all kinds of folks praying for me, praying for us in this circumstance. That's that's fantastic stuff. But a follower of Jesus Christ has the spirit of a living God interposing himself in that brokenness and he's interceding for us. Look at verse 26, 27. Twice it says the spirit of God is interceding. Now as we go, and God willing we'll get there, when we get to 834, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about Jesus Christ is interceding for us. So here you have the Spirit of God interceding for us, God the Spirit. God the Son, Jesus Christ, who, according to the book of Hebrews, ever lives to make intercession for us, he's interceding for us. So there's a dynamic duo representing us before the Father constantly, unceasingly, all night last night while we slept interposing for us in the midst of the earth shaking. Eric, how can I hold my stuff together when the whole world's coming apart? Well, you can by crawling into the skin of Romans 8, 26 and 27 and realize the provision of having the Spirit of God intercede for us. Now, You are being prayed for by ones who are being heard, the Son and the Spirit. Please don't miss the profound connection with our plight. He calls it groanings too deep for words. Ever shared your heart with a friend? Maybe you're going through something that's ripping your guts out, and you sit down with a friend and you share it. And in the middle of you sharing it, you begin to hear your friend respond. As they're receiving this, you're hearing, oh, oh, audible gasps, sighs, groans. And at that time, you're not saying to yourself, man, they must have had a really bad sandwich for lunch. At that time, you're saying, I can't believe how good this feels that somebody else is feeling what I'm feeling with me, and they're receiving this. They're right there with me. I can tell. This week, I went to Jason's office, and we talked. Pastor Jason Walsh, our student pastor, who was just up strumming his guitar with really sweet notes here, flanked by his son who was playing the drums, but anyway. um, And we were pouring over a situation 
And then he prayed. As he's sitting here this morning, he, I'm, I don't think he would even remember this, but he was praying thoughtfully, as is his habit, and he was praying passionately. And then in the middle of his words articulated, he exhaled and he sighed. I don't think he was conscious of it, but he went, oh. And it was really a response to the situation and entering into crying out to God for help. And when he did, my mind immediately, soaking in this, I went here. And I really appreciated that from Jason and his prayer that afternoon. But think of it. God is groaning and sighing with us and for us in the midst of what we're going through. As the world shakes in its turns, we can rest in a God who has so entered into this and groans with us, the Spirit praying for us, pleading with the Father. Wow. God hears our sighs, but it's better than that. God hears the sighs of the Spirit on our behalf, groans too deep for words. You talk about burden-bearing. You talk about a caring prayer partner. How about the spirit of a living God himself? Romans 8, 26. Now, the second facet of the spirit entering in, Eric Howes is helpful, is he pleads for the will of God to be accomplished. Notice verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What is he sighing about? What is he doing? He's praying for the accomplishment of the will of God in our lives. Well, who is he to do that? Paul puts his resume right here. The Spirit of God is well qualified with a lot of experience to be doing this kind of praying. And this name for God is listed there. He who searches hearts. Let's just stop there. It's both a strong encouragement, and if you're running away from our Lord, a foreboding prospect to know that he has already searched our hearts this morning, and he knows us. But he searches them not to condemn us, but to run after the affection of our hearts, and through his kindness, to turn our unrepentant heart back to him. So as he has searched your heart this morning, where are you spiritually in your own journey? Does he find a lover of Jesus who has given herself or given himself to Jesus, moved by the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself up for us to atone for our sin against a holy God on Good Friday? Do you find, does he find as he searches our heart, a heart full of hope? Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and brought us unto a living hope that anchors our soul as the world shakes. What does he find in your heart this morning? What does he find in my own? Open your heart to Jesus Christ. Open your heart to this one searching for you today. What a beautiful name of God. He searches hearts.
because he leverages so much experience praying for the saints continually according to the will of God, he's the very one we want to pray. Remember, we do not know what to pray about. I was pondering this week, I'm sure that I miss in praying for my family sometimes. If God would ever answer my prayers for my children, you know, they'll get involved in something and immediately it's, Lord, get them out of that. They'll have some threat. Lord, deliver them from that threat. Um, And yet looking back, the threats, the valleys, are the very grist that God used in my life to show me both my dark heart and his great heart of love for me, notwithstanding my dark heart. God help me grow up. Do you realize that the will of God is what we want accomplished because our highest good is preserved in what he is wanting for us in his will? And so this is the one we want to pray. Not somebody that's going to pray and miss, but somebody's going to be praying and focused that conformity, which is going to come out here in a moment, conformity to the will of God is going to be the end game. That's the prayer. What we don't often think about is that our highest good and highest joy is preserved in this very thing. The Roman Empire was collapsing in the 5th century. The church was in part being blamed for it. And a church father named Augustine wrote his thick tome, The City of God, in which he argued that all cities of man will eventually come to nothing. But there is an eternal, certain city of God that will remain forevermore. And so for 16 centuries, we've thought about what he wrote. Yes, the world is shaking, but the shaking world doesn't get the last word. Here's what the author of the book of Hebrews said. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Praise be to God who has given us in Jesus Christ and in the spirit of Jesus Christ all the resources we would ever need to live out those words that Garrett read in Philippians 4. Notwithstanding the fact that the world is broken, the world is shaking, All creation is yearning to be restored, and it is coming. And the Spirit is interceding for us to get us through. We can make it, not because we're heroic, but because our Savior is that extraordinary. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, use the text of Romans 8 to stand up in our boats and in our storms and say, peace, 
be still. Help us experience the tranquility and rest of soul and heart and life that comes in relying uniquely and exclusively on such a great Savior in whose name I pray, amen.